0: To Xavier Reese, with this simple truth. You're not in God's will unless He's in control. God will often use
1: people and circumstances to position us for His plan and to bring about His purposes. The purposes of God are not always easy. At times, difficult circumstances, situations, but His purposes are always for His glory, and therefore He enables us when He puts us in those situations. Simple.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Reducing the size of an army from 32,000 down to 300 before battle, or conquering another city by merely walking around it for seven days. How about sending a young pregnant woman on an 80-mile journey on a donkey just so she would give birth in some obscure town? Yes, God goes out of His way sometimes to make a point. But Pastor Xavier says that is the point. And in today's Simple Truths message from our study series in the Gospel of Luke, in a message titled, The Timely Birth of the Savior, God's sovereignty is on display like no other. Let's listen.
1: Today in much of our American society, the story about the birth of Jesus, the Savior of the world, is considered by many as a mere tradition that is nice, but... It can't be taken seriously. This should be of no surprise to any of us since we are in a post-Christian era in our nation. In fact, some today in our society believe that the biblical story of the birth of Jesus is unreliable and even fictional, concluding that any person who dares to believe it is a bit gullible and foolish. This is one of the messages of our pagan universities that constantly attack the Christian Judeo principle and faith. And yet the New Testament has more attestation to its authenticity and reliability than any of the classics of Greek literature. And no one ever questions or doubts the authenticity of these classics. The Bible was written in the latter part of the first century, as you know, by eyewitnesses of the birth of the Savior, His life, His miracles, and His death. Luke points this out very, very carefully. The Bible has more manuscript evidence than any ten pieces of classical literature. A.T. Robertson, the New Testament Greek scholar, says the following. Listen carefully. We have 8,000 manuscripts of the Latin Vulgate, 1,000 earlier versions, 4,000 Greek manuscripts, 13,000 portions. Most, if not all of the New Testament, can be reproduced from early church writers. The classics, on the other hand, are not so reliable, but they're never questioned. Listen carefully. The seven plays of Sophocles that are accounted as authentic texts are manuscripts that are 1,400 years After his death, the New Testament was written within the 60 years after Christ's death. The history of Thucydides, 488 to 400 B.C., are known to us by eight manuscripts. The earliest is from 900 B.C., a difference of 400 years at the very least. No one ever doubts them. The history of Herodotus, 488 to 400 B.C., no one doubts the record. Yet the earliest manuscripts that we have are 1,300 years after hypocrisy. Complete foolishness. As you know, Luke goes out of his way to ensure the authenticity and accurateness of his text. In the opening chapter, we've seen in chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, he uses specific words. The word eyewitness uh, means to see with oneself. We get our word autopsy from it. And it appears only that time in the entire New Testament. You know, when they do an autopsy, they cut you up. They do pretty good study. Remember, he's, he's, a, he's a doctor. And the phrase perfect understanding in those verses there in the opening also means to follow a thing with the mind, to trace carefully from the very first, from the start and the beginning. Luke in chapter 1 and 2 gives us things that happened that none of the other gospel writers give us. Matthew, nor Mark, the synoptics. He gives us all the way back to when he speaks to Zacharias for the birth of John the Baptist, the visitation to Elizabeth, Mary, everything else, the presentation, all that others do not. And then the word know that he uses in those verses, gnosko, means full knowledge. He goes out of his way. He gives that in the introduction, the prologue. And then he gives you the evidence to the rest of his work. The intellectuals of our day should be a bit more accurate in the use of their brain to study the evidence before they dare speak their ignorant conclusions. Listen to Paul the Apostle in Galatians 4.4. He says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth a son made of a woman under the law. And he did that to redeem those who are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Right on time, God's never been late for anything. Now Luke, the physician, wants his readers to know the quality and the reliability of his gospel. It is inerrant, it is infallible, the word of God. So Luke presents to us the prophetic birth of Jesus according to God's timetable, evident by three truths. First, the birth of the Savior was according to divine plan. Secondly, the birth of the Savior was according to divine purposes. Thirdly, the birth of the Savior was according to to divine proclamation. The birth of the Savior, according to divine plan, comes first, verse 1 through 5. Notice in verse 1, the person God used was Caesar Augustus. The time reference is given to us, and and it came to pass in those days. In those days was given to us in the first chapter, verse 5, the days of Herod. Chapter 1 and 2 are a time period of the days of Herod. Herod began to rule in 37 B.C. and he died in 4 B.C. Augustus was born in 63 B.C., began to rule in 27 B.C. and he died in 14 B.C. So there's an overlap between them. The imperial decree, notice, went out from Caesar Augustus. The word decree is a direct order, a proclamation from Caesar. No one's exempt, as we'll see, the Caesar were like gods. The decree was made during the time of peace, interesting enough. For a decade, the temples of Janus were closed and remained closed for 30 years because there was no war. Whenever man is without war for a long time, that truly is a miracle in some way or other. The freedom at hand was controlled by Augustus, who ruled with a rod of iron. Now, the one to be born, the prince of peace, who would bring peace to the earth, in goodwill to men, was a lasting peace, not a temporary peace, though they had only for 30 years, they went back to war. Notice the real name of Augustus, Caesar Augustus here, was Caius Octavius, who became the emperor. Now, the Roman Empire, as you know, at the beginning was ruled by generals. Then it began to be ruled by one man, and eventually it led to Caesar worshiping at the Burn a pinch of incense to Caesar once a year, say Caesar is Lord, and then you could go worship anything you want as long as you didn't create division in the Roman Empire. They tolerated subcultures. The vanity of Caesar Augustus was great, evident by the um, different titles the Roman Senate suggested for him. They suggested dictator, but uh, he said it was too temporary. They suggested king, but he said it it didn't um, signify enough. They finally came up with Augustus from August, like the gods. This pleased him. By the way, we get the month August from this. (laughs) Many of the months are according to the planets. Now the entire world was to be registered, notice in verse 1. The phrase all the world indicates the whole Roman Empire. That's what the world was that day. The purpose, notice, was for all the people to be registered, It simply meant to enter your name in a public record as the present tense indicates continuously. There's another word that leak will give us to show us that this was the inception of this system from this point on. The purpose was for raising taxes. Verse 2 will indicate this. Governments are always good for raising taxes and politicians speak eloquently but they always have a hook. Uh, No different. They think taxes solve everything when taxes only oppress the people. There's a legitimate taxation, and there's a fair taxation, and then you move into oppressive and overlording taxation where everybody becomes a servant to the state and can own nothing, and it's all progressive. Now, look at verse 2 and 3. The plan of God was to be fulfilled by a common tax census. Simple everyday stuff that Luke presents to us here. Okay? The miraculous among the natural. The beginning of the census is dated for us. It took place while Quirinius or Cyrenius was governor of Syria. Verse 2. Critics uh, tried to fault the scriptures, but um, archaeological evidence has proved them wrong because he was governor twice in 4 and 6 A.D., and the word there, first, refers to the first time it was placed in operation of others that would follow, this being confirmed by archaeological evidence of Gens of census every 14 years, even in Egypt. So again, you know, this has happened often. The, uh, um, the Hittite dynasty was denied and, and poked fun of the, by the critics. And then God found an archaeologist to go out there and dig up the civilization, And there's no archaeological evidence that has ever contradicted the Bible. Always affirm the Bible. Now, notice verse 3, the decree required that everyone go to his own city, the place of origin, or residence, where they were born. They would be registered there. Their family records it would be much easier, whether it be census, pure census, or whether it be taxation uh, for accuracy and to make sure you get all the money. You know how governments are. That's the way it is. Now, look at verse 4 and 5 the people of god that were in god's mind and he was interested in were joseph and mary the lord needed to get both of them down to the city of bethlehem in judea which means house of bread they were presently in nazareth and uh, the city was around 90 to 100 miles depending what route you take from bethlehem and notice the man joseph and mary they went out from galilee because he was of the house and the lineage of David, it tells us there at the end of verse 4. Now, the prophet Malachi, as you know, prophesied about his birth in Bethlehem 700 years before a contemporary of Isaiah, Micah 5.2. 700 years before the very town that the Messiah would be born. <laughs> the plan was God's plan, not Augustus, The Proverbs and the scriptures are clear that God directs the kings of the earth like the rivers and the water of the rivers. And yet we know that he doesn't force people. We'll get to this point as we move along. Both Joseph and Mary were of the line of David. Luke has gone out of his way to make this point. Matthew 1, 6, 11, and 16 points that Joseph was of the line of David, but disqualified by Jokaniah the curse. Rather than going through Solomon, then Luke picks Mary's genealogy in chapter 3, 31 and 32, and in 69, through Nathan, the other son of David, and she qualifies. They both were in the lineage, but she's the mother, Joseph's not the father, so it doesn't matter, but they both were the line of David. Notice verse 5, the journey to be registered was made when Mary was betrothed. As wife, and she was with a child. There was no procrastination or disobedience notice of these two righteous individuals. They didn't have a sit in at Caesar Boulevard and Nero Avenue. They just knew that God was on the throne and they went to be taxed. They were right on schedule, God's plan. They were legally married, literally having been betrothed, and Mary is called his wife. Though Joseph did not know Mary sexually until after the birth of Jesus, Matthew makes this very clear in chapter 1, verse 24 and 25, okay? This was no easy journey for a pregnant woman in her nine months, as you know. Those ladies, you ladies who have been pregnant, you know how that is in the last month, <laughs> God has clearly told mankind that he has used world rulers in the past to serve his purposes such as Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, Alexander the Great. But we would have never known that unless he revealed it to us. He revealed it to us so that we be aware that he still does this. We just don't know how or who right now, but we know in the past that he has. And that should be sufficient enough to know that he's still doing it again. Daniel 2, Daniel 7, the head of gold, meat of Persia, arms of silver, belly of brass, Alexander, leg of iron, Rome, ten toes, clay and iron, ten nation confederacy. What is it that we don't understand? One wonders at the world rulers today, Obama, Putin, and many others. You think God's dealing with them? You think God's using them? Guaranteed. Is he forcing them to do evil? Nope, they're evil enough. God's just using their evil to chasten us and to bring about his purposes. Simple. God will often use people and circumstances to position us for his plan. As Nehemiah, who was the cupbearer of the king, and um, he prayed to God that God would change the king's mind so he might go back and be part of the rebuilding of Jerusalem again in Nehemiah chapter 1. How do you fit in God's plan? Are you asking him? Are you lifting your heart to him? are you so caught up with your own little world and and everything else that God's just, right now, you're here. Let's get this over. Let me out of here. Wow. The birth of the Savior was according to divine plan. Notice secondly, 6 and 7. The birth of the Savior was according to divine purposes in 6 and 7 here. In verse 6, the purpose of God's plan was that the Savior of the world be born. God allowed her time to deliver to occur at this time. So it was that while they were there, not as they left Nazareth, not as they were on the road to Bethlehem, but after they arrived in Bethlehem, maybe a few days, right on time. God gave the promise 4,000 years earlier, right after the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman, a woman has no seed in herself. She has the egg, the man provides the seed. No man's involved in this. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. God reminded Isaiah, a virgin would bear a son. They would call his name Emmanuel. God with us, Isaiah seven fourteen. Matthew fulfills that. He says in fulfillment, Matthew 1, Now look at 7. The purpose of God's plan was brought about under difficult circumstances. Mary brought forth her firstborn son. The indication of firstborn indicated he belonged to God and was the priest of the home. If you go back to Exodus, we don't have time right now. The firstborn and the first of animals belonged to God. And then God later redeemed the firstborn for the Levites, and the animals would be redeemed also, okay? Now, this has been interpreted at times as the text to prove that Mary had other children by Joseph because they say, well, if he was the firstborn, that implies a secondborn. Not necessarily. This is a Eastern book, not a Western book, that's a Western interpretation. It simply means that he was the first one, the heir, the oldest, and the priest of the home, according to the old before it's redeemed by God, okay? We don't need this for that text. We have Matthew 13, 55 through 56, where we are given the names of the brothers and sisters of Jesus, of course, half-brothers, brothers by Joseph and Mary, Mary had a normal sexual life with Joseph after Jesus was born, and she had children, okay? She was not a perpetual virgin. She was not sinless. She has already told us in chapter 1 her need of a savior. She calls herself a sinner, okay? Now notice Mary wrapped him in the swaddling cloth. The cloth was a, a square cloth with a long bandage uh, at the uh, a corner of it at an angle and diagonally and the child would be wrapped and then tied around so he's nice and snug and kind of like a little papoose or something. Now, Mary laid him in a manger. The traditional manger scene is so nice and warm and comfortable, a little wooden manger with some nice hay on it, but this is not accurate. This most likely was a stone trough, feeding trough of an animal. Mary and Joseph found no room in the end. Notice, the word in there is a guest room or lodging place and it was with a common courtyard enclosed by four walls and there was water in the center off to the side. In this courtyard is where they were, where all the cargo, the animals, you have manure, you have all kinds of stuff, you've got dirt, you've got whatever it may be. This is the place where Jesus Christ was born, not in Cedar Sinai, kind of humbling isn't it God and he allows his son to be born this way when God allowed Joseph to be sold by his brothers you remember and he was accused falsely by Potiphar's wife and then when his brothers came and it was all revealed that God had put him there they and then uh, their father died and they were afraid that Joseph would retaliate and when they gave him that story that before our father died, he wants us to forgive us because, you know, he says, hey, listen, what you meant for evil, God intended it for good. Now, God didn't force Joseph's brothers to sell him to the Midianites. That was their own doing. Yet God prophetically said that he would... Take care of Joseph and he would take care of the 12 tribes and none of their free will or decisions ever affected anything of the decree of God. So that when God judges them or anybody else, they're responsible for their own sin. That's the God of the Bible, okay? The purpose of God to have his son born of the most common and poorest person was that no one would ever be able to accuse God of not understanding what it is to be poor and under an oppressive government. The scriptures tell us Jesus became poor for us that we might be made rich through him in Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. He emptied himself of his glory, never his deity, he took on the form of a servant, and he became obedient to the death of the cross. The intent of God was that no person would accuse him of being, not being able to approach him. In emptying himself of his glory, God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Who do you think got the best deal? <laughs> yet God is not willing that he should perish, but yet God knows majority of people will perish by choice. By choice. You have a choice. Simple. The purpose of God and salvation and other purposes are not always easy. At times, difficult circumstances, situations. But his purposes are always for his glory. And therefore, he enables us when he puts us in those situations. Paul, the apostle in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, 13, puts it this way. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man but God is faithful who will not allow or you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it so when God tests me he enables me to pass it I tempt myself God can't tempt me with evil James says I tempt myself, and I make myself fall. God tests me. Here's God's test. He gives you the test, and he gives you the answers. Remember being in school? The teacher said, okay, we're going to take tests. Don't look in the back of the book. So they give you the test. You go, it's called cheating. Now God says, listen, I'm going to give you a test. The answers are in the book. Please look in the book. We don't look in the book. The birth of the Savior was according to divine purposes.
0: Pastor Xavier Reese with the encouraging reminder of God's divine sovereign reign at all times in all things. More simple truths drawn from the Gospel of Luke today. Now you can hear this message again anytime online if you like simply by selecting today's date at the radio listings link you'll find at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And of course you can also request your own CD copy of today's thought-provoking message titled The Timely Birth of the Savior as well. Pick up a copy for yourself or a friend for only $4. Once again you'll be asking for the message titled The Timely Birth of the Savior. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And join Pastor Xavier Reese right here next time for more simple truths about the miracle virgin birth taking place in the most humble of circumstances.